one of the things that really frustrates me about historical fiction is you get to the end and you get like a one-page summary saying, oh yeah, by the way, I made up these three guys and a bunch of the, the, uh, the incidents have been combined. And that lack of precision bothers me, maybe a part of my personality, but I, I want to know what's real and what's not real. Hello, and welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. My name is Colin Mustful, host of the program, and today I'm joined by Steve Yock, author of the historical novel Becoming George Washington. There were a lot of things that I wanted in the book that my traditional publisher was pushing back on. They're like, no, no, this is a novel, just it's about the words. And I'm like, no, we need battle maps, right? You need to be able to see what I'm talking about. We need these extended endnotes. I want a bibliography. They did not want that. Stephen E. Yock is a Twin Cities lawyer with extensive business, transactional, and litigation experience. He graduated with honors from Boston College and the University of Minnesota Law School. When not researching and writing historical novels, he enjoys helping individuals and businesses solve complex problems while working at the wonderful Fellhaber Larson firm. He is the author of the novel Becoming George Washington, and he is currently working on a new novel called Becoming Benedict Arnold. Well, what I'd like to start with is this novel, uh, Becoming George Washington. I was kind of enamored with it because it is a novel that utilizes elements of nonfiction. And in it, you have a historical note, an author's note, biographical summaries, bibliography, and an extended author's note, in addition to a reading group guide. I wonder if you can talk about why you included those nonfiction elements and if you received any kind of negative criticism or, or feedback that would say, you know, not to do that. Uh, yeah, it, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, I love nonfiction, right? I, I obviously was tremendously, tremendously interested in George Washington, and that led me to this story. Um, but I also love historical fiction. I think it, it uniquely allows you to understand and see the the texture of the characters that you otherwise don't get to do, even in a literary nonfiction context. I think historical fiction allows you to hear what they said and thought in a way that just otherwise isn't accessible. But one of the things that really frustrates me about historical fiction is you get to the end and you get like a one page summary saying, oh, yeah, by the way, I made up these three guys and a bunch of the the uh, the incidents have been combined. And that lack of precision bothers me, maybe a part of my personality, but I, I want to know what's real and what's not real. And what you don't see in most historical fiction is exactly what I had, which is extended author's notes, what's true in it, what isn't, what's the bibliography, where did the sources come from? And so I really wanted to write something, and there are some historical fictions that do that, but but not as many. And 
I wanted to have that additional depth there so that the reader can go, you know, did George lie after the Battle of Force Necessity? Yes or no? Um, did in one of the big issues in my book, did he have an affair with Sally Fairfax? What did the major, what do the major nonfiction authors say about that? My publisher um, was not hugely in favor of that. Um, the view was, well, if this is a novel, you don't put this stuff in the back of a novel. And they even said, well, we could put it online. And I, I didn't want that. And I fought against that very hard um, because I wrote a book that I would want. I wanted um, to allow folks to know where that line was between truth and fact. The one really gratifying thing has been there are two distinct types of readers, by the way, some who just read the story and don't really read the notes. Um, but most of the people that read the book read all or a portion of the notes. And I've received just tremendously positive feedback from people on doing that. And that, I think, is a, an addition. Maybe I wrote a little more of a book I would like. And for whatever reason, that meshed well with who would read my book. And so it's been overwhelmingly positive. But I did get some pushback kind of early on in the process. But, I, you know, I, I'm going to do the same thing in my next book. I've been working on my next book. And it's it's part of who I am and who I want, how I want to write. Well, I, I commend you for sticking with it. I think it's just, it really adds to, to the novel. And I know when I read historical fiction, I find myself Googling everything, just stopping to Google things. And with your book, you don't have to do that. You can find it in the notes. And uh, for those who do want to learn more, they can look at your bibliography and, and find that information. So I, I really think that was uh, great to include those things. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I, I really. It, I also, I just enjoyed. I enjoyed the process of citing to the nonfiction authors, so you can really hear what these really amazing nonfiction authors have said about about George. So, going off of that, I wonder if you can talk more about blending fiction and nonfiction. In your historical notes, you wrote, "This is a work of historical fiction with an emphasis on the word historical." So. Is there a way to articulate how much is historical and how much is fiction, and, and how did you decide to do that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say I like to say with mine, it's about ninety-eight percent nonfiction. Uh, but you get to hear what George says. Now, often his dialogue and others is informed by actual letters. With Washington, we're uniquely uh, graced with the George Washington papers. Um, the University of Virginia has put together every letter that was sent or received by George Washington during his lifetime, and it's annotated. So I often was able to look at actual dialogue. But what, what happened with, and I, uh, one of the is other issues one of the editors had was, you know, you need, can you add more of this or less of that? And the answer was no. I'm going to write as best I can what happened in the order which it happened. There, there are certain timing issues that I wish were different in his life and kind of how the story progressed, but that was his life. And so I followed and strictly follow uh, the timeline of his life and the events of his life. The, every single person is real. Um, and now where things start getting kind of hinky is where I start using the, uh, the end notes is where it becomes controversial. Or did he really do that? And when, when you run into that, that's when I think the notes are really useful and where you become the historical fiction part of the story, where I'm making suppositions. Um, but for the most part, 
I would get enough information that I felt like I really had a good handle on what happened. And then you get that divine spark, uh, as, which I know you call it, you know, when the words are in your head. Um, and that's when I still in dialogue would come. But it wasn't until I felt like I really had enough nonfiction data points that I started feeling kind of knowing what I could, should or shouldn't be writing, but mm-hmm. always driven by the nonfiction aspects of my research. Sure. I think that's an interesting, interesting way to put it as data points. I never thought of it that way. I'd like to get into a little bit more of the craft, but I guess before we do that, we should probably explain that that you come to fiction as a lawyer. Uh, how did that happen? Well, I, you know, one of the things is you, you've got um, Malcolm Gladwell's outlier rule, right? I mean, you got to put in your 10,000 hours and, you know, day in and day out, I write um, and I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of briefs and many, many scholarly articles, and I've taught a lot. So writing is part of who and what I am. And research, which of course is inherent in the, this process, is also part of what I do. So that that is taking complex and disparate ideas and topics and organizing them in an accessible way is how I've made my living for the better part of 25 years. What happened with George was, and by the way, I know I call him George, but he, he becomes familiar. I, I recognize he's General Washington, although my, my book isn't about General Washington. My book is about young George Washington, who was just George, and later maybe Colonel Washington. And when I'm doing the, the research, and I had done other research, and I found this story, um, it just sort of came naturally to me. I had not written a lot of dialogue before, but of course I'd written a lot. And the discovering dialogue was the sort of the epiphany for me of this whole process. It's it's the reason I'm writing Becoming Benedict Arnold. And after that, I'll probably write Becoming Aaron Burr, why I'm going to be always be writing, because doing the research and doing the organization and creating all the data points so that I understand the facts is great. But that moment when you start hearing voices in your head is what I did not anticipate after being a lawyer for all these years. Um, that is the the impetus for why I'm going to keep doing this and why it's so much fun um, to hear George's voice in my head, to hear um, Christopher Giss voiced in my head, to hear Sally Fairfax's voice in my head is the really, truly transcendent part of this, this experience and why I, I enjoy writing so much and will continue to do it. And frankly, it's more fun than one that stuff I write day in and day out as a lawyer. So, um, it's it, it, a lot of people say, geez, you, you read, you write and read all day and then you come home and you write and read, but they're very, they're so different that to me, um, it doesn't even, it, it doesn't seem, first of all, it doesn't seem like work because it's not, it's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Well, so you have the experience in writing, you have the experience in research, but I have to imagine that there must have been some growing pains, some challenges to learning elements of fiction can you talk about what those challenges were? And I, I'm also curious if you had any mentors that helped you along the way. Um, oh, first of all, there were really not mentors. Um, for, for lack of, a, in terms of day in and day out in writing, um, I got some terrific advice from a number of people and um, Ken Kruger in particular, uh, he had, I had lunch with him and um, he suggested that I actually read uh uh, Stephen King's on writing, which 
is absolutely fantastic for anybody thinking about writing. And and Ken said that I, I was sort of struggling with the insecurity inherent in the writing process. That you know, it's a, it, it's a very intimate thing to let what's in your head and 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 a lot of the things that you disclose inherently in the writing process to put it out there and. And also, you know, what if what if the book's bad, right? And what if people don't like it? And Kent said that publishing your first book is like walking out in the middle of the public square and dropping your drawers and seeing if anybody laughs. Um, and and so he said, but you know, at some point you just got to go do it if if you really feel like you're going to do it. So I, I followed his advice there and 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 felt that need to do it. But then one of my other mentors was is my wife, who was a sports writer and a and in the media for a long time. And, and, and I came back to her and I was really concerned and upset. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if I should do this. I mean, the book, the book, people might not like the book. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm nervous about this whole process. And her response was, well, look, you, you followed Stephen King's advice. You gave it to five good friends who edited it and gave you really valuable input. I've read the book. I think, I think the book is good, but you know, I don't really care. Um, what you should do is then take the book and throw it in a drawer. And uh, you know, I'm going to publish it when you're dead. Um, and I would, I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just do that. She's like, great, go ahead, go start writing your next book. And of course that was the perfect response, right? Because I had Kent with his input, her sort of challenging me. They, she knew me well enough to know that I, I was never going to put it in a drawer and having friends, um, who gave disparate friends who gave me a lot of advice on the book in terms of what they liked and didn't like, which is what Stephen King advises going to someone like Ken Kruger, relying on my wife, all informed me in sort of having the courage to continue the process. With George, I never had writer's block. Um, I never had any sense of what I shouldn't be doing or shouldn't be doing. Um, it came out in just a torrent and was, was really easy to write. Benedict Arnold, my next book, is much harder to write. Um, I liked George from the very beginning. He did lie some and he did some bad things, but he's, he's fundamentally a really decent person. Writing Benedict Arnold in the first person, as opposed to the third person omniscient, as I did with George, um, is harder. And it's been a more worthy challenge. And that process has been great writing Benedict, but it's also just been harder. And I think that, that, process and writing not always being easy is probably also good for me as a writer um, because George was just fun. And my only issue was courage, editing, and and getting ideas on where I was going down the wrong path. And my friends who uh, were really terrific on that one other guy I should probably mention um, wrote Braddock's March and, and Thomas Crocker, who was a, wrote a terrific book. And he also edited the book and helped mentor me and give me some constructive thoughts. So my acknowledge is note the people, but, and probably the last person is, um, I, when I was 27, I lost use of my arms for a year. I had a thing called a cascading thoracic compression, which is a form of thora uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. So as a result, I have very weak arms. I, I can't type very much. I can type, you know, a few paragraphs or a page or two, but I have to dictate everything. And my uh, assistant at work, Deb Murphy, typed the book, um, including footnotes and everything else. And she was a tremendous resource to where um, she would give me input 
if she thought a section was good, bad, or, or indifferent. So she continues to collaborate with me and, and is literally my hands. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very lucky guy to have people like that in my life. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Writing is often such an, an isolating endeavor. But uh, when you really talk to authors, you find out that it's so much, the project is so much bigger than just them. And, and, and every writer relies on uh, so many different people to help uh, make the project a reality. So true. That's just abs- absolutely true. And I, I could not have done it alone. Beyond, by the way, even like Mount Vernon, um, the, the, the historians at Mount Vernon are, are fantastic. And um, they gave me a lot of very unique, specific information that I wanted from the 1750s um, at Mount Vernon, which is a period that, you know, is a lot, the Mount Vernon we see is very different than the Mount Vernon that existed in the 1750s. And, and they were really very, very helpful. And so, um, you know, there's just tremendous resources and, you know, you can't, you can't do it alone. So it was, it, it, and by the way, again, one of the fun and collaborative parts of the whole process, even though ultimately writing, uh, is alone, but then again, I never quite feel like I'm alone because I hear voices in my head and, and, and that's, that's pretty great too. Well, you brought up your next novel, Becoming uh, Benedict Arnold, and I think it becoming George Washington. It must have been published in, in 2015. Is that right? Yep. So is, is this a project you've been working on since then? And, and I wonder if you can talk about the differences, you know, using what you've learned from the first novel, incorporating it into the second novel or the research process or, you know, what, what's that whole process been like? Well, first of all, I really didn't understand. I had a book in my head. I wrote the book. I didn't understand everything that comes with a book being released, right? So my book got released in 2015. And then, you know, I kind of thought, oh, that's okay. I'll go on my next book. But but I, I was fortunate that the book, you know, got some press. So I did a lot of, end up doing a lot of TV stuff and I did radio stuff and there was newspaper stuff and then got a couple of awards. And, and so I ended up giving a lot of speeches and book clubs. I didn't know about book clubs. I mean, I didn't think about any of that stuff, right? I was just a guy writing a book. And that took up a whole bunch of time. And it, the, one of the most gratifying parts of the whole process was my book, uh, does, George, does not have in it sort of any sort of graphic sex and it has some violence, but it's pretty PG-13. And so as a result, a lot of teachers used it with like junior high age kids. And so I talked to both per, in person in the, in the Twin City areas and actually as far north as Duluth. Uh, New Ulm, um, but also uh, I did a bunch, a bunch of virtual ones with schools, and and that was really great. And and I probably did that for like a year, year and a half. So I got you know kind of sidetracked in a really good way that I didn't anticipate. Plus there was like building the website and all that stuff that I know you understand, Colin, and I really didn't, um, but I had to learn. And then after that, I started turning to Benedict Arnold and. Um, that process where all the research, there's every year books come out on George Washington. Um, again, the University of Virginia has dedicated basically a huge part of its efforts to the George Washington papers, which continue to be updated even to this day. 
Um, there are the George Washington scholars. One of the things with George Washington, the reason my, my publisher didn't want me to put the word a novel on the front of my book, but I understood that I had to because I any pretense to nonfiction would potentially inflame those George Washington scholars. Um, the Benedict Arnold, no one has dedicated their lives to Benedict Arnold. Um, the research on Benedict Arnold is remarkably bad. So with George Washington, the things that we don't know are really trivial, like the date, the precise date on which George asked Martha to marry him, you know, little tiny things. And we, it's narrowed to like a, you know, a 45 day period, but they just don't know, right? Where Benedict Arnold, people, even noted historians have huge differences about what happened, when things happened. There's a the evolution of understanding of George Washington, I mean, excuse me, of Benedict Arnold has changed greatly over time. The, the view of George Washington has not changed much probably in the last, in my view, the last 50 years, where with Benedict, even within the last 20 years, we're seeing some evolution in how we're viewing him. He, for most of the, the 250 years since all this happened, George, Benedict has been viewed as Richard III, a man inherently evil, um, two-dimensional. Um, but as things have evolved and we've understood more, I, I would still say that he's a bad guy. Um, he's also not a particularly nice guy, and I don't particularly like him like I like George, but I understand him more and I understand what happened and, frankly, in many ways, how he really got screwed. But that that evolution of research means that there isn't as much good work on Benedict. There isn't as much good research. Um even basic things like he fought in a naval battle on, at Valcor Island. Um, the ships that were in the battle are often misquoted by noted historians. So it's, it's really interesting. And oh, by the way, no one's going to excoriate you if you make a mistake on a, on a Benedict Arnold book, right? If you, if you make a mistake on a George Washington book, there's a whole group of people who've dedicated their lives to protecting him, his interest. That is not true for Benedict. And so I have found the research task to be much more difficult, much harder to get those data points to really inform the story and harder to hear his voice. And so I have found research on him is taking much, much, much longer than it did with George. I've written about uh, 150,000 words and I probably have uh, a thousand footnotes in my current draft, but I still feel like I need to do more research. I did travel to um, Quebec. I traveled to Lake Champagne. I traveled to Gorkar Island. I went to Saratoga. I went to the, some of the key places uh, that he fought um, uh, for Ticonderoga. Uh, and that's been, was terrific. But it's, it's been a harder slog with Benedict, although um, it's also, frankly, I really enjoy the slog. So I, it, it's been a, a, a fun process. But to your original point, it's been different because the research has been harder. As I said, he's a harder guy to get to know. I think if I hadn't experienced in your your question about what informed me from the first instance to the second, if I hadn't had the successful, enjoyable, wonderful experience with George, I might get discouraged on Benedict, but I'm not discouraged. I know what's at the end. I know that it's worth it. And so I persist with him where George was so easy in many ways Benedict is hard, but you know what? Benedict was hard. That's who he was. It, it fits. 
And so I, I George informs Benedict because of the struggle uh, that makes it worthwhile. Well, it sounds like an incredible, intriguing, interesting story, and I'm, I'm sure your hard work is going to pay off in the end. Uh, you mentioned your publisher a couple times. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the avenue you chose to go through for publishing with with Wisink Creative Publishing, what what the experience has been like, and if you plan to proceed with Wisink in, in your next book, or you're going to go a different route. So it's very interesting. So my first, they they were not my first publisher. So my first publisher, I had, and they'll they'll go unnamed. My I had a publisher who wrote me a check. It was the you know traditional publishing uh, route that I was going to go down with them. And they were the ones that were giving me a hard time about the extended endnotes. I wanted maps in the book. Um, there were a lot of things that I wanted in the book that my traditional publisher was pushing back on. They're like, no, no, this is a novel. Just it's about the words. And I'm like, no, we need battle maps, right? You need to be able to see what I'm talking about. We need these extended endnotes. I want a bibliography. They did not want that. and. Um, and, and, and this is the goofy part. I mean, authors try so hard to find publishers that are going to give them money to publish their book um, and not self-publish. But I got so frustrated with them. Um, it, it, we essentially just weren't communicating anymore well. I was continuing to write and I was continuing to do everything I was doing. But um, they wanted to go down a road I didn't. And so ultimately, we very amicably parted ways. Um, and then, so, okay, so now I have had a publisher. I have, for lack of a better word, we fired each other. And now I think, oh, okay, I'll go get another publisher. Well, that's not really that easy, um, as I'm sure most of your, uh, anybody who's an author knows. And I, I didn't make as much of an effort as I could have, perhaps, to find a new publisher because um, I knew that I was might have that same problem again. So what, what I did is I looked at uh, augmented self-publishing companies. And Wising, and the reason I chose them is they had resources. I essentially self-published with them. They had resources to help me get the unique things I wanted, like um, my book cover, like the maps that I needed and wanted to get done, like the family tree I wanted to get done. They could get me to people that helped me do that. So they were not by far, not the cheapest um, of the self-publishers out there, but my project had a lot of unique moving parts. So they did a very nice job. You know, I don't know if whether we'll work together again in the future, but it allowed me then to control the process, um, which at the end of the day, I knew I wasn't going to make a lot of money on this process. I think anybody that goes into the writing business like this, and expects to make a lot of money is, is probably kidding themselves. It's, 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 it's very hard. Um, did, did I ultimately, you know, sort of break even on the process? Yes, but my, I have higher costs too, because my assistant, I pay her to, to type uh, the book for me, because obviously she's doing this on, at her time. But um, so Wising did a very good job. They ultimately helped me with a lot of the, the mechanics of getting the book done, promoting the book and getting on TV and all that stuff, that's a whole different deal. And they, they didn't really do that. And it's hard to find people that can. Um, and again, that was really probably a function more of my wife's uh, job. But um, yeah, so that 
I may work with them again on the next book. I may not. Um, it was sort of an interesting road. But what I, I learned about it is I wanted, if you're going to spend all this time and write the book and do everything else, I wanted it to be my own vision that we talked about at the beginning and not necessarily um, somebody else's that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was probably a, a difficult decision for you to step away from the traditional pub- publishing, something that seems to be still so sought after and revered, but I'm glad to hear that you had such a positive experience um, maintaining that, um, maintaining, you know, your choice ability to choose what you wanted this book to be. And uh, I think it really turned out well for you. Well, thank you. It's, it, 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 there are times in life to compromise. And by the way, I believe in compromise. Um, but there are also some times when it isn't right and it would not have allowed me to fulfill the vision that I wanted. So, you know, maybe, maybe next time I'll have a traditional publisher and they'll agree with my vision when they see the completed work, maybe they would have agreed with me more than just a a little, little novel, but um, we'll see how it plays out with Benedict. Uh, But in the meantime, I'm writing, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of end notes again, and there's going to be battle maps and, um, and all the stuff that I, I like to see again, because I, I enjoy Frankly, I enjoy maps, and I think they're—I think they add a lot for people. If you're a—if you're a history person, it definitely informs the novel quite a bit. Uh, so, for uh, readers out there, wh- why should they? Why should they read your book, *Becoming George Washington*, and why should they look forward to your next book? Well, I—I I, I think they should read George. Well, first of all, you got to like historical fiction. You got to be interested in history, and if you are. I think it provides a nuanced understanding of Washington that you can't get reading uh, nonfiction. Now, there I cite in the back of my book, you know, Joseph Ellis, His Excellency George Washington is extraordinary. It's a, it's an absolutely fabulous book. Um, Ron Chernow's Washington the Life is a terrific book of a little more of a slog. Um, those are great books, but if you want to actually get a feel for what George was really like as a young man um, and really f- understand what he experienced went from a fatherless, uh, essentially middling, poorly educated gentry with a terrible mother to the second most famous man in America by the time he marries Martha Washington. Um, this gives you a, a, a view on him that you're just not going to get in a nonfiction book. Um, and the advantage is it's about 98% true. So you're getting pretty darn close to what a nonfiction book would be, but having a fun time reading it. My Battle of the Monongahela is probably the most accurate, historically accurate narrative of the Monongahela, I think that probably is right now. So you get to have some fun. Benedict, nobody knows anything about Benedict Arnold. (laughs) And while there are nonfiction books on Benedict Arnold, um, why does a traitor become a traitor from a traitor's perspective? And I, I did a, I've done a lot of reading, by the way, um, after the Walker spy issues in the 1980s. Um, there's a lot of a lot of scholarly work done on how traders become traders and why. And I read all of that. And it's it's interesting to understand how someone like Benedict Arnold, who was a, one of our greatest war heroes, becomes our greatest villain. And I think that's and the story of how how he gets caught and how brave he was right up until the end when he became so bad is just a, an amazing story that few people really know. And I, I would hope people would like reading that and understanding that story too. 
Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, and I just have to tell you that, you know, your your book, Becoming George Washington, really helped legitimize what I was trying to do with my own books and what kind of helped me move forward with this press history through fiction. Well, that's really kind of you to say. I, I You have a terrific website and, and uh, the books and the I heard your some of the video clips you've done and otherwise are just really impressive. And adding human detail to history, I think, is the great quest of historical fiction and when it hopefully makes uh, history so meaningful and what you're doing is so important. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, and thank you. This has been uh, wonderfully informative uh, to talk with you today. Well, thank you. And uh, uh, I look forward to following what you're doing and all the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you, Colin. I've been speaking with author Steve Yuck. He's the author of the book, Becoming George Washington, and the forthcoming novel, Becoming Benedict Arnold. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate your time.